Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. There's a call comes ringing for the restless waves and the Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Your host this evening is Stevie R. Butler with my co-host Tim Bench from the state of Texas, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Georgia, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, Steve Cordo from the state of Florida, Patrick Medlock from the state of Florida, Willie Williams III from the state of Texas, Clay Williams from the state of Georgia. Ladies and gentlemen, we're grateful that you're tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ, and we would ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts, you can send me your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or just give me a call to the Carolina studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and study along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler, and this radio show is being broadcast from the Carolina studio in the great state of North Carolina. Ladies and gentlemen, we're just grateful for the privilege to be able to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. So before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be with my co-hosts on the show this evening, Patrick Medlock and and Tim Bench, as they break unto us the bread of life. We pray that you will continue to bless 
them and their families that support their efforts to continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you would bless our listeners this evening who are tuning in through social media and through blog talk radio. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we will not even have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now we ask that you'll forgive us for the sins that we've committed in our minds and our bodies. We know our flesh is weak and we often fall short of your will. Father, we pray that you'll continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful unto death, Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ Jesus' name we do ask it all. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Our first speaker, my first speaker, uh, Patrick Medlock from the Spring Hill Church of Christ in Tallahassee, Florida, will be bringing us his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in the second segment, I have some questions that I've taken from my social media platform. And then in the third segment, my co-host Tim Bench from the Oldham Church of Christ will be bringing us his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to close out the show. So thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Open your Bibles now and open your minds and let's have a great show. The next voice you hear after this break will be that of my co-host, Patrick Medlock. Enjoy the show. Our God, he is alive. Yeah. 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Now, my co host, Patrick Medlock, and his subject, When God Won't Butt Out. Good uh, evening, everyone, and I bring you greetings from the Springs Hill Road Church of Christ in Tallahassee, Florida, where it all comes together uh, spiritually. I'm pleased to have the opportunity to make the declaration on behalf of the King and the Herald who is indeed the Lord of my life. I give uh, all praise and glory to God because I am in a covenant relationship with him. I am his herald as he is my king, and I am grateful as he is merciful. I'm hoping that all of you are well as you listen to me on this evening. And I'm hoping and praying that the things that I will share will be of a blessing to you. I know it was a blessing to me to be able to prepare them. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading with verse number 6. Romans chapter 5, and I want to begin reading with verse number 6. I'm reading according to the New American Standard Bible. The Bible says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, yet sinners, Christ died for us. Any of you have that um, nosy neighbor familiar with the concept? Seen it on TV? Maybe it might be more up close and personal for you because you are that nosy neighbor versus maybe you having that nosy neighbor, the one where you have to close the shades because they're all into your business. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I share with you that many of us, whether we are that nosy neighbor or we have that nosy neighbor on our street across or or what have you, we can definitely identify with the concept. And for the most part, even the idea of addressing them as annoyed, as nosy, is probably viewed more negatively than positively in our daily lives. 
We have that same concept when we think about that auntie that won't butt out of the mother that just won't give it up. But I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that when it comes to God, we want God to be nosy. We want God to butt into our business and not to butt out. We want the God who sits up high and looks down low to be able to intervene on our behalf even when we don't know that we're in trouble. And so, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I acknowledge to you that the Bible has several instances and several examples where God just wouldn't butt out. Our lesson text indicates that because God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The idea of but God, ladies and gentlemen, the idea in which he ends up putting his butt, his butt, B-U-T, into our business, has been, is, and will continue to be to our benefit. So this evening I'd like to present you the subject, When God Won't Butt Out. When God Won't Butt Out. And the goal of our instruction is love from your heart and a good conscience and a sense of faith from 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5. And I'm sharing with you tonight the hashtag, my God has a big butt. My God has a big butt. And just in case you're shuddering about that, please know that I'm spelling butt, B-U-T. My God, hashtag, has a big butt. I want to share with you tonight that we appreciate God and the big butt that he inserts into our business because God clearly has and continues to help us with our devotion. Turn your Bibles with me, as has already been asked for, to uh, Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 1. Or better yet, even go to the latter verses of Genesis chapter 7. Because as you look at verses uh, 23 and 24 of Genesis 7, the Bible says, Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from the man to animals to creeping things to the birds of the sky. And they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. The waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So you guys know that God indicated in Genesis 6 that his spirit would not always strive with man, but that his years would be only 120. You guys realize that he said uh, to the, uh, he said, uh, ended up saying to Noah to build an ark. Build an ark of gopher wood, and he established a covenant very specifically with uh, Noah and his family, Noah, his wife, his sons, and his sons' wives. So, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, 
they ended up being in the ark when the when the rains rained 40 days and 40 nights and it took another 150 days to, for the waters to recede as this text indicates ladies and gentlemen i say to you that indeed god was taking care of his business and those individuals those eight souls that were saved by water spent upwards of one year Approximately, if you do the math, 380 days in the belly of that ark. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, if you think about being in one place without being able to open a window or to go in and out of a door for a whole year, I think that would make a lot of us stir crazy. But when you look at what the text says next, when the Bible says, but God remembers. Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were in the ark and God caused the wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. God had finished what he needed to do with the people who he destroyed all on all all uh, continents, you know, even as high as the mountains. When we studied this in Genesis, we were talking about okay, what happened to the Nephilim? Everything that was living that wasn't in the water, it died. Oh, during this period of time, only ones that were living was Noah and the ark Noah and his wife and his sons and his son's wife. And the fact that God remembered Noah should deliver a very compelling message to us. But God remembered Noah. I need you to understand that many of us might feel that we are trapped in an ark with all danger running around us, an ark of having already here on May 9th more months than money, traveling on the ark that says, indeed, once again, my mental illness has crept upon me, and I feel overwhelmed, and I feel like I'm alone, and I'm feeling like I'm helpless, trapped in an ark that says, indeed, I should be further along than where I am right now as far as my job, as fellas, as far as my home, as far as my car, or some other status that we might feel where say, hey, God, you've forgotten me. God, remember, I'm your child. God, don't you feel like I've had enough already? But be encouraged by the fact that even though all this chaos was happening outside the ark, but God remembered Noah. And I need you to remember that God remembered you too. And he remembers you today. He remembers you. You can even think about those instances where you know that God delivered you. God took you through some stuff, took you to places that you weren't, you're kind of concerned about it because you really weren't sure what God's plan was and the like. I can say to you, ladies and gentlemen, it's okay to ask God a question, but it's not okay to question God. I think I just said something, ladies and gentlemen. It's okay to ask God a question, but it's not okay to question God. It would appear that Noah, with his faith, he didn't question God. But once God did his business, 
Once God blew that wind and those waters subsided and he did what he did with the raven and with the dove and finally God gave them the command to come out, the Bible tells us that Noah in essence smoked the sky with sacrifices of those clean animals, acknowledging God as God. Because I say to you today that what should feed our devotion is that only God is good and only God is great. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, passages like Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 should fuel our faith when it says, indeed, if God be for us, who can stand against us? I'll tell you, it's a wonderful thing to know that God is on your side. And it's a horrible thing to think when he's not on your side because passages like Hebrews chapter 10 and 31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And because my God has a big butt, he continues to fuel my devotion because I know that only God is good and only God is great. He continues to show his bountiful blessings spiritually and physically, and I have no choice but every day to thank God that he chose to wake me up, to thank God for the opportunity to be able to, on every single day, treat that day as a blank page in which when I start that day, whether whether I am still in my slippers whether I'm in the seat of my car or whether I've made it to the corner of my cubicle or office, so to speak, my singular purpose every single day is to give God glory. The but God of Genesis 8 helped me to understand that I need to never, ever, ever relent in giving my devotion to him. Secondly, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, but God fuels our salvation. You guys already know the passage that I've already referenced from Romans chapter eight, uh, 5 and verse number 6. I'll reference it once again if you'll turn your Bibles with me. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse number 6. Again, look at what the Bible says. For while we were still helpless at the right time, God Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man some would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we need to understand that the but God that is listed there is an incredibly big insertion that God put into our lives. Because I'll say to you that nobody could save us but God. And the fact that God did what he did in sending his only begotten son so that we could have a right to the tree of life is something that should inspire us because the Bible is still saying in Romans 6 and 23 for the wages of sin is death 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nobody else who could have given us the salvation but Jesus. And indeed, the fact that God was willing to send his son. You guys know all the passages. The passage such as in John chapter uh, 3 and verse number 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is God that's responsible. God made us. And instead of doing what he did back in the ancient of days and being that individual, that that God that decided his spirit was not going to strive with him, he was going to wipe us from the face of the earth, you guys need to be thanking God for the rainbow every single time that you have an opportunity to see it. Because that rainbow is letting us know that, and and the Bible says, it reminds God himself that he will not wipe out man like he did before. That he's giving us a chance. That rainbow is a rainbow of colors. But it's a rainbow of grace. It's a rainbow of mercy. It's a rainbow of salvation. Passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26 also give us encouragement when we read, it says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. See, because when God inserted this, he knew that he didn't look at things the same way we look at things. And so in order to save us, he needed to bring some things that were thought to be foolish, thought to be not conventional, thought to be not the way to actually please God. So when we read scriptures that say, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible talks about what faith is. Faith, King James, is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. When we hear those words, they should prompt us to say, I can't do anything but raise up my hand and acknowledge the sovereignty and the mercy of God. My God and his big butt continues to fuel my devotion and my God and his big butt continues to fuel my a reminder to me that he is the source of salvation. And finally this evening, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, but God helps us to understand and to clearly perceive that there is no comparison with God opposing the littleness of man. Go over the passages of Scripture like Genesis chapter 50, if you don't mind. Genesis chapter 50 
and we're going to look at verse number 18, Genesis chapter 50, and we're going to look at verse number 18. Now, the Bible is in the beginning of chapter 50. Um, Joseph, I mean, not Joseph, but Jacob died, and the brothers, after he has died and they've waited the a period of time, and the Egyptians were weeping and were mourning as well. So when the days of mourning were past, uh, the Bible says that Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, if I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, my father made me swear, saying, behold, I am about to die in my grave, and there you shall bury me. And so he makes those arrangements. And so Joseph goes and buries his um, father. And then he had a situation where his brothers later in verse 15 saw that their father was dead. And they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and uh, pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? See, it's amazing because many of us, even if we don't know the passage, we know the concept that you reap what you sow. So they went to a message, they sent a message rather to Joseph, and basically saying, hey, your father charged before he died that you should forgive your brothers for their transgressions. So, of course, that was a lie, but that's the message that they sent ahead to Joseph before they met with him. So in verse 18 we see, then the brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in God's place, is the way the New American Standard reads it. And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for me for good, in order to bring about the present result, to preserve many people alive. Notice the text. You meant it evil, but God meant it for me for good. See, I'm wondering whether or not if we understand how God intervenes, that we will have the proper attitude even when things that are bad happen to us. Think about Joseph for a second. Joseph went from the pit to the prison to the palace. So he was favored, but went to the pit, being despised. Then, even when he got away from his brothers, they sold him to the Israelites and the Midianites that were traveling to Egypt. He went there. They sold him to Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife ended up being uh, the person that Joseph was working with and working for. And obviously you guys know that story where she wanted him to come in under her. He refused to disrespect Potiphar that way. She lied and got him put in prison. How could somebody who clearly had good motives be caught in a situation like that? It just goes to show you sometimes you're going to go through those situations. And then he still ends up, because he stuck with his integrity, he ended up being in the palace. In the second chariot behind Pharaoh as he continued to give God the glory. 
So even here when he says, I'm in God's place, I need you to understand that sometimes we need to understand that when bad things happen to us, we got to stay in God's place regardless of where we are, whether we're in the pit, whether we're in the prison, whether we've made it to the palace, we need to be in God's place. See, some of us don't want to do it the way God would have us to do it because God needed Joseph to go to the pit. God needed Joseph to go to the prison so that he would be prepared to do God's will once he got to the palace. And yes, see, some of us, we end up going from the palace, and then we get relegated to the prison. Then we go into the pit, the pit of guilt and sorrow and despair. And it's amazing because oftentimes if you would have let, I don't pray the prayer that says, let no hurt, harm, or danger come upon me. You know, you hear some of the older guys still praying that prayer. I say to you, that's not a spiritually appraised prayer, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, because sometimes God needs you to go through some hurt and some harm into some danger so that he can use you the way he needs to use you. Because many of us, we end up going from the palace to the prison to the pit because you prayed a prayer that wouldn't let you go from the pit to the prison to the palace. Because when you were able to go from the pit to the, front to the prison and then to the palace, you know how to act when you get to the prison. Whereas if you go to the palace first, you don't know how to act. That gets you in prison, which gets you in the pit. I don't know about y'all, but when he says, but God meant it for good, we need to have that attitude and be in God's place like Joseph was and say, yeah, you were no good. I know that your intentions were impure. But because God took me through what he took me through and you were his, let's, let's just say, uh, not so valuable vessels to help make that happen, many people's lives were saved. Therefore, verse 21, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Can we maybe recollect or maybe you're in your but God moment right now. And even though maybe you should be angry, maybe you should be ticked, maybe if you allow your emotions to get the best of you, you're ready to blame everybody instead of saying maybe but God means this for good. Maybe but God who may not have revealed his plan to me may be using me right where I am instead of me always trying to say, I need to go to a new city. I need a new car. I need a new house. I need a new job. Maybe God, the Lord needs you to be content where you are and just where you are, be useful. Joseph goes to prison, he's useful. Joseph goes to the palace, he's useful. Why? 
because he was okay and went through his pit experience. Ladies and gentlemen, our God is an awesome God. Look at Mark chapter 10, ladies and gentlemen, and look at verse number 25 with me. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 25. Bible says thusly. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they were even more astonished and said, then how can this be? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, members of the church, we need to stop pole-mouthing. Well, I can't do this, and I'm not able to do that. Stop putting qualifiers on God. I'll have faith unless. I'll have faith until. I'll have faith however. Please understand and know, ladies and gentlemen, that when you're able to do the things that God would have you to do in the way in which he would have you to do them, there is nothing, there is no work that is part of God's will. And that's what we should be doing as we pray in the Holy Spirit, not pray about give me this and give me that, provide me this opportunity, or allow such and such to happen. Our prayer should be just like what Jesus demonstrated. Father, if it be thy will, let this or that happen. Because when we understand just how big God is and how little man is, we will have no problem understanding that when God intervenes, when God butts in, God has a bigger purpose, God has a bigger plan, and he's going to come at it at a time that is right on time, even though we might still be waiting. We don't need to help God out. God is able to do what he needs to do. I hearken back to that passage in Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts better, higher than your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. Let me end by hearkening back to Abel would later be called Abraham. Abram was commissioned by God in Genesis chapter 12. And the Bible says that God told him to leave your land, leave your relatives, leave your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it's amazing that if you do a study of Genesis, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, you see quite a metamorphosis of, of, of Abram's faith, where he has but God moment after but God moment after but God moment after but God moment where indeed he is able to see God's providence happening in his life to the point where it increases his faith. 
Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the Abram of Genesis 12, the one that thought that two out of three ain't bad, he got from the land, Haran. He left his father's house. His father, Terah, was dead. But he didn't leave his relatives because he let Lot tag along. And a lot of us, as far as our faith is concerned, not understanding that maybe a but God moment will increase our faith, we are at a point where we're doing only part of what God is asking us to do, and then we're not really believing that when God says he can do what he can do, sometimes we fall short. Because later in that chapter, he has Sarah to lie, even though God has said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. So why Sarah got a lot of Pharaoh if God has already said, you're going to be great. You ain't going to die in Egypt, even though there's a famine. See, because God, Satan wants you to miss the but God moment. Satan wants you to misinterpret it, whereas I say to you, but God intervened and made sure that Sarah got, Sarai got rescued, that they still got blessed. And Pharaoh says, you know what, don't let the, the door, the, the, your, your door hit you on the way out as you get out of town for almost causing me to do something abominable with Sarah. So in Genesis 13, we get the moment where he's ready, where he says, let there be no strife between me and thee and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen because we be brethren. And with Lot finally separating, he finally doesn't do two out of three faiths. He has three out of three faiths. And God says, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. All of this is going to be yours. In fact, go ahead and walk it like it's yours. Then we see where chapter 14 has enough faith to fight the uh, monarch uh, Cheddar Alarmar who had come down to fight the kings of the city-states in the region where Abraham was. Abraham felt threatened. Lot got kidnapped. Abraham took his few men and the men that he had alliances with and went, chased them down, and defeated them and brought back everything that they, everything that they had taken. Chapter 15 is where we see that his faith, God says he was righteous based on the fact because, again, he was asking God questions but he wasn't questioning God. When you have enough but God moments, at some point you will realize, you know what? When God says what he says, maybe I should just believe God. But then even though God may determine us as, as righteous, you gotta as faithful, you gotta know that faith is not a destination. Faith is a journey. How do we know that based on Abram's life? Well, even though God said that he was faithful, God said that he was a righteous. In chapter 16, um, I says, you know what, why don't you take Hagar? I'm not sure that God is really has it in his plan to do it. So instead of asking God all this time, we're seeing what God has done. Hey, God, what's your plan? With Sarai, Sarai's asking me this. He listens to the voice of his wife, just like Adam did back in the beginning. And they're trying to help God out. We see that progression until we get to chapter 22 where God says, take Isaac, your only son Isaac, and offer him up. And Abraham doesn't even ask. Abraham does not ask any questions. Abraham takes him. And when Isaac asks him questions, he says, the Lord will provide a, a, a meat for the sacrifice. 
because his faith had gotten to the point where he was not questioning God or not believing what God said. He, the Bible tells us that in, 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 he, in, in the New Testament that he had enough faith that had he actually allowed, God actually allowed him to actually kill Isaac, Abram had enough faith that God would just raise him from the dead since he had clearly said the seed would go through Isaac. Do we have that type of faith? Have we had enough but God moments to allow us to truly understand that when faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, we are individuals who need to believe God when he says what he says. Acknowledge God as God. Acknowledge his goodness. Acknowledge his greatness. And know that if God has a plan for you, you need to wait on God and let it be revealed. God doesn't need any help. The Bible continues to tell us that if one lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And God will provide what he needs to provide. He will reveal what needs to be revealed. Because every but God moment that we see in Scripture and every but God moment that you realize that God has intervened in in your life helps you to understand that I need to have greater devotion. I need to be daily and eternally grateful for his salvation. And I need to be in, in that individual who understands that even though I continue to see man and man proliferating and doing great things with technology and processes, that man is still oh so little concerning as opposed to the greatness and the grandness of God. So don't get it twisted. When everybody else is saying everything else, you stick with God. Like Joseph, stay in God's place and let God do the rest. My God has a big butt. What about yours? And if we can let God be God and do, let him do what he needs to do, and he's going to do it. He's going to use us as vessels, or he's going to find another vessel to do his great and perfect will. I, as an imperfect person, would like to be a part of God's perfect plan. As we go on with this particular program, Later on, it will be shared with you, the plan of salvation, and I won't share it here in this broadcast, but I say to you that if you're willing to follow that plan, that indeed God, who continues to intervene in your life, will continue to be a blessing to your soul. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. Who you are, what you need to be, that's settled because the scriptures continue to say that to fear God and keep his commandments, that's the whole duty of man. Continue to let the lessons associated with your but God moment crystallize your faith so that you won't question God, even though all of us would have questions. Thank you very much for listening on tonight.
Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific needs. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. These are the announcements for the events and activities in the Churches of Christ. If you would like to have your events or activities announced on this broadcast, please contact me at the Carolina studio, 910-491-6405. Or send me your emails to my new email address, B-U-T-ButlerSteve1009 at yahoo.com. On August the 4th through the 9th, 2019, the Northside Church of Christ will be the official host of the 2019 Florida State Lectureship of the Churches of Christ in conjunction with the Jacksonville, Florida Congregations. The Newburgh Church of Christ, located in Louisville, Kentucky, is currently seeking full-time ministers, so please submit all inquiries to the Newburgh COC at gmail.com. Candidates will be forwarded a job description and an application packet. Completed applications should be submitted along with the candidate's resume, references, doctrinal philosophy, and a sample of an audio-video recording of a sermon. The Deep River Church of Christ in High Point, North Carolina, is currently seeking a full-time evangelist. And this ideal candidate will be outreach-focused with a desire to win souls and his keen ability to appeal well to a cross-cultural audience. For a copy of a full job description, Please visit the homepage of the website, www.deepriverchurchofchrist.org. To apply, send a resume, cover letter, and three professional references to the Deep River COC at Triad. On August the 5th through the 7th, 2019, there will be a Refresh Summit 2019 at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. For more information, there will be more information forthcoming. And you can call 972-233-2392 for more information. On July the 6th and the 7th, 2019, there will be a third annual church anniversary and also a first annual Kingdom Men's Conference at the Connect Church of Christ in Baytown, Texas. And that address is 6100 North Main Street, Baytown, Texas, 77521. On May the 24th through the 26th, 2019, there'll be the 65th anniversary homecoming at the Westside Church of Christ, and that address is 201 Adar Street, Waldo, Arkansas. For more information, please call 870-693-5822. On May the 15th through the 18th, 2019, there'll be a Dallas Radical Unity I'm sorry a Dallas Racial Unity Leadership Summit that will be hosted by the Dallas West Church of Christ and sponsored by participating Dallas Area Churches of Christ in honor of the life and legacy of Bolton Sham Jean 
And the address is Dallas West Church of Christ, 3510 Northampton Road, Dallas, Texas, 75212. For more information, call 214-631-5448. And just a program reminder, Stevie B's Media Production Presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio and my new telephone number to the Carolina studio is 910-491-6405. The telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. The first Monday of every month of the month, the Gospel Light Radio Show is airing a special edition that will air from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 6 p.m., Central Standard Time. My co-host will be giving lessons uh, selected by our listening audience. And then on Tuesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting a live show, What a Word from the Lord radio show. And each week we'll have uh, guest speakers on that broadcast from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ who will be presenting lessons from the Word of God. We also have the Community Corner segment. This segment is for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services that they're offering to our community. Also, we have my co-host, Edward Bishop, from Niagara Falls, New York. He'll be on the air. Uh, He will be on the show every other week presenting a lesson from the Word of God. And then on Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting the live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show, and I have eight co-hosts presenting lessons from the Word of God, and each week I have two of my co-hosts who will be on the air with me. I'm also taking questions from my Shouted Out platform on social media, Facebook, and I'll be posing two of these questions to my co-host. Then on Friday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I will be hosting a live show, Stevie B's Acapella Gospel Music Blast Radio Show. I'll be playing the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists. And the first Friday of every month, we have the Story Glory segment where I'm interviewing artists that I'm actually playing on the radio show. We'll also be debuting new music. And the next uh, album debut that we have scheduled is on June the 21st. And the group that we'll be featuring is Called by God Acapella Ensemble out of Nashville, Tennessee. And we're also doing a Top 20 Countdown show. The next scheduled show we have for that is on May the 17th, 2019. And once a quarter, we're doing a marathon show. That's a three-hour show or whatever artist or group that we're featuring on that show. And the next scheduled marathon show is on July the 26th, 2019. We'll be featuring Made New Acapella from Louisville, Kentucky. Also, my on-demand episodes, you can listen to all of my on-demand episodes through my affiliate internet stations, through Spotify, through iHeartRadio, through Apple iTunes, through ACARadio.net through iWay Radio, through mccbroadcasting.com, through ibcbroadcasting.com, through YouTube. Go to my YouTube uh, channel, Stevie R. Butler, a.k.a. Stevie B. You can also go to the Church TV Network and see their playlist, Acapella Radio, to see these on-demand episodes as well. You can also go to my website, Spreaker.com, 
That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com and type my name in the search bar and you'll be able to see all of these on-demand episodes. You can also, the three the three E's of Stevie B's Media Productions, that is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, and we want to encourage you in the study of God's Word. I want to thank all my sponsors who are sponsoring this radio, these radio shows. Uh, Sharon Norwood, she lives in Chicago, Illinois. Here comes Carl Organo, and her slogan is a health product for healthier living. And also, but my sponsor, Bethesda Memorial Funeral Directors Crematory Services. They're out of DeSoto, Texas. Certainly appreciate them. Also, my sponsor, Stanley Phillips. He's the owner of a Touch of Class Apparel in Little Rock, Arkansas. Certainly appreciate him. And my sponsor, CJ Colson, out of her company's called Utherp and Health Institute. She lives in Monument, Colorado. Certainly appreciate her for sponsoring these shows. And my sponsor, Diversified Financial Network, LLC. They're out of Dallas, Texas. And the owner is Mark and, Carol, and Charlotte Carroll. And I have a new sponsor, Cheryl Mirage. She lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. And her group is the Compassionate Haiti Leaders. And have they've been serving Northern Haiti for over 20 years. And they invite you to be a part of something greater than yourselves. So please visit and donate to Haiti at www.compassionhatileaders.faith. And that will conclude my program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Light radio show. After the break, we will have the shouted out segment. Stay tuned to the Gospel Light radio show. There's a land beyond the river that we call the sweet forever. And we only reach that shore by faith's decree. One by one we'll gain the portal, there to dwell with the immortals. When they ring those golden bells for you and There's a land, There's a land beyond the river that we call, that we call and we only, and we only reach that shore by faith decree. In that far, oh, just beyond, just beyond the shining river, oh, when they ring. Can't you hear? Can't you hear the bells ringing? Oh, can't you hear? 
the Gospel Light Radio Show. Now, this is the portion of the broadcast where I have some shouted-out questions for my co-host, and my first co-host will be Glenn McMillian. He's out in the state of Texas. How you doing, my brother? I'm doing all right, Stevie. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Now, here's your question. This question is from Sean uh, Woods from the state of Louisiana, and his question is, should Christians be supporting political parties since we all agree that they are corrupt and do not support Christian values. What say you to this question? Well, allow me to reframe the question a little bit. We're going to talk about should Christians be engaged in politics? And and this is an America-centric question, Um, but I think it applies fairly generally. Uh, And so wherever you are located in the world, I think this will apply to you. Um, Let's start by saying that I don't think that this is a matter that is something that we should be dividing each other over or or getting into uh, big – spiritual arguments about that. I think that this is the problem that we have with, with the church and politics, especially in America is that there's, there's too much bad blood over this. And there are three, three basic positions. And I think each one of these positions is biblical. It comes from a place of biblical understanding and Depending on how you apply certain scriptures um, and and what you consider to be important in that in that regard is going to be the direction that you're going to take in terms of engaging in politics. So the first one is based on Philippians three twenty, which says, "For our citizenship is in heaven," and the point there is that if you know in America, if you're not a citizen of this country, you're not allowed to vote in our elections. And so, if you are basing your political philosophy on Philippians three twenty, and you say that our citizenship is in heaven, we're not really citizenships. Our citizenship is not in this country, so we should not have uh, any participation in. The country's politics because our citizenship is somewhere else. Um, and so the people who have this outlook are going to uh, naturally withdraw from the entire uh, exercise of being involved in politics at all. Uh, we'll see this in the, the Jehovah's Witness denomination. This is their official policy. They're, they are 
forbidden as a denomination from participating in politics. And so there are uh, many Christians, uh, people who call themselves Christians, who take that stance, that their, you know, their citizenship is in heaven. They're not American citizens, per se, and so they don't engage uh, in any type of political activity based on that philosophy. The second philosophy is based on Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, uh, which tells us to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and unto God that which is God. And these are the people who make a complete separation between their religious life and their political life. You know, what we do, the rules that we follow as Christians are not something that we are supposed to impose or uh, force other people to to go along with. And by voting in an election uh, on Christian principles, you are basically uh, forcing your morals and your, your identity uh, and your your way of looking at life onto other people who don't necessarily agree. Uh, so these people are going to make the decision uh, to engage in, in politics, but they're going to engage in politics from a purely uh, secular way of looking at things. They're going to, you know, what is the policy that's going to be best for my community, best for my, uh, you know, my pocketbook, best for the people around me, uh, not necessarily uh, with any aim to make the country a more godly nation or anything like that. It's just, you know, purely utilitarian in that ideal. And and those people can break either Republican or Democrat based on different understandings of what the word utilitarian means. Um, so I don't think that there's any uh, natural uh, party for a, a Christian to fit in, especially if they're in this uh, category and, and looking at politics from a purely secular perspective. And, of course, the final uh, group is going to be basing their political philosophy on Colossians 3.17, which says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. These are the people who believe that it is their duty to vote as if God is always watching, to to make sure that they are doing things that bring glory and honor to God, even in the way that they approach politics. And so... If you are convicted in that way, then obviously you're going to vote for politicians and policies that you think promote a a godly uh, nation, a godly lifestyle, even if that means uh, using the the levers of political power to achieve a spiritual end. Um, And so, again, because of – their their understanding of that verse, their understanding of of Christian philosophy, it's perfectly reasonable for a person to uh, approach politics, approach voting uh, with that understanding, and try to uh, fight against the the evils of of this world, the secular world, um, or at least put a break on that uh, by using the powers uh, that this country provides us in in politics. In order to put roadblocks up to uh, to policies that allow uh, for or, or create uh, situations where where sin is easy to 
and legal and and profitable to engage in. Um, so, which of these uh, political philosophies is the right one? Uh, that is a hard question to answer. I think that you, you, this goes to a Romans 14 issue where whatever you do, you have to be fully convinced in your own mind and 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 act accordingly. The, the Bible doesn't address how to vote in a democratic society because the people that were the immediate uh, recipients of this text did not have a democratic society to vote in. So uh, we have to use and apply the principles of the Bible in a way that we believe is um, reasonable based on our understanding. And, and again, it's, it's more important that you have an understanding of what the Bible teaches. You are applying the principles in a way that uh, you are fully convinced is the right way to do it. If you're not fully convinced, then don't do it. If you are, if you have any doubt, then don't do it. If you do it out of doubt, then that then that is sin. If you're not convinced in your mind that you are doing the right thing, uh, then then that is a sin. But if you're convinced that this is the right thing, that this is what God would be pleased with me doing, whichever philosophy you're you're uh, approaching it from, then that's the way that you should engage in politics. And I might not agree with the way that you go about it, but I don't think that it's a, a fellowship issue or a salvation issue as long as you're fully convinced in your own mind that, that you're doing the right thing uh, on that on that score. So um, that's the best answer that I believe I can give on this question. Uh, I hope that is uh, satisfactory. I mean, I, I'm sure it's not to a lot of people, but uh, I think it's the right uh, answer from my perspective. So. Hey, that was a good answer, brother. Certainly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for the Gospel Light Radio Show after we come back from the break. I have another question for my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson, from the state of Georgia, and it is a doozy. Stay tuned to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Come on. 
show now we are here all i am so messed up i'm trying to do too much i need to focus here uh we're here at the shout out platform uh this is the shout out segment of the show and my co-host robert lee johnson from the state of georgia he has the next question how you doing my brother doing great sir uh you ready for this doozy this is gonna be a doozy here brother <laughs> well i'm gonna do the very best that i can all right, here's the question. Some may disagree with me and some may agree with me, but I'm going to do my best. All right, that's all that's required. Okay, here we go. Now, this question is from an anonymous querist from the state of California. 
And the question is, can I be a Christian and gay? Now, what say you to this question? That's a very good question because that type of lifestyle is pervasive and current uh, in our world today. And young people, old people, and middle-aged people are having to deal with this. The church as a great community of believers must deal with this question. Now, I don't want to be simplistic, but I want to be clear. Uh, One cannot be a practicing homosexual or gay person and satisfy God. One cannot be a practicing adulterer. One cannot be a practicing liar and satisfy God. I do believe that God loves everybody and that there are periods in our lives uh, which, in which we need to depend on the Lord to help us to get through uh, difficulties in life. So I think we should pray and ask God to be patient uh, with us no matter what problem you might have. And uh, God will deal with that particular individual in his own way. And those who are on the outside looking in must be courteous and kind and good and instructive uh, to individuals in the gay community or those who may be involved in any issue uh, that is contrary to the will of God. I do believe it is a moral issue, a moral problem. I believe we find um, information in in the scriptures. Uh, there's guidance in the scriptures as to whether or not God will accept uh, the homosexual lifestyle. So let me just start by giving some information here. One of the most potentially devastating movements to evolve from the environment of human degeneracy in recent decades is the so-called gay movement. The homosexual lifestyle with considerable support from the entertainment industry and significant publicity from the news media is a growing phenomenon. No longer content to practice their perversion behind closed doors. Homosexuals have moved into the mainstream of society uh, and are flaunting their immorality in the most extravagant ways imaginable. They march in gay parades. Uh, they call them gay pride parades. They, they, they thrust their lewdness on men. Uh, they, 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 they openly... Uh, show their their lifestyle to be acceptable to them. They have an ag- agenda that has no limits, it seems. They are demanding their full human rights, which according to them include the right to hold influential government positions. We have a guy that's running for president. It's a homosexual. Has a male partner. Uh, they assert their right to teach in schools, the right to marry, and they assert the right 
uh, not to be discriminated against in any job. And and they're powerful. They have a powerful gay rights lobby, and uh, they get things done. That was one of my problems with uh, our last president, President Obama. I, I really supported him, but he almost lost me when he when he went to the uh, support of this gay right agenda. The very fact today that so many within our country have taken a tolerant, even sympathetic view of this perverted movement ought to be a danger signal to every moral-minded person in the United States. Now, some say that they are born homosexual. I just don't tend to believe that. There are studies that show that this is a learned behavior. It is not understood exactly what learning produces a gay sexual orientation, but because this behavior is learned quite quite possibly, it could be learned from other homosexuals. Dr. Jerry Berkman made that statement. But you ask me today, what does the Bible say about it, Brother Johnson? In the sacred scriptures, homosexuality is not viewed as a medical issue. Rather, it is a moral issue. The name of Sodom lives in the infamy of history. So well known is the biblical narrative concerning the perversions of Sodom and Gomorrah that the term sodomite across the centuries became synonymous with homosexual. Recent allegations by modernistic theologians who suggest that the sin of Sodom was mere inhospitality or an intended gain rate contains not a shred of evidence. We know the story. We know the biblical stories. When Jehovah's messages came to Lot's house in Sodom, Certain base men surrounded the dwelling and urged Abraham's nephew to send out the visitors. Listen now. They said that we may know them. They, 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 weren't, they weren't trying to get acquainted with these men. They were trying to have sexual relations with them. The word no is sometimes employed in the Bible as a euphemism for uh, to have sexual relations with Genesis 4 1 and also Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 25 will bear that out the men of Sodom clearly want to engage in sexual activity with Lot's guests these perverts are characterized as wicked and their sin is said to be very grievous Genesis 18 and verse number 20. In the New Testament, the inspired Peter affirmed that God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them with an overthrow, having made them an example unto those that should live ungodly. Yet righteous Lot, who was sore uh, distressed by the lascivious life of the wicked, and daily vexed with their lawless deeds. The Bible says he was delivered because he was righteous. Later, the Lord Moses declared, listen, and if a man lie with mankind 
as with womankind, both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall surely be upon them. Some claim, however, that since many Old Testament regulations are obsolete today, that this one would also uh, fall into that category. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe that for a minute. And I would not advise you to believe it. What did Jesus have to say about homosexuality? Some religionists, homosexuals, and their sympathizers, while admitting that certain New Testament passages appear, they say they, that, that, that these passages appear to condemn homosexual conduct, nonetheless, nonetheless deny that Jesus personally censored such acts. And I just want to say that is totally inaccurate. First, Christ clearly taught that the doctrine of his inspired spokesman ultimately was from him. To the 70 disciples under his commission, Jesus said, he who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me. Luke 10 and verse number 16. Paul, who was a man who was very outspoken about sodomy, affirmed that the things he wrote were the commandments of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 37. Now, when Jesus spoke of marriage as that which was ordained of God, Jesus said that God ordained uh, this relationship for male and female. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. He said male and female. He did not say male and male. He did not say female and female. He said male and female. And so the Lord's concession that fornication against an innocent spouse is grounds for divorce by the victim condemns Sodomy since this vow practice is but a form of fornication. And I think we need to em emphasize this and enlarge upon it, you know. So two men, when they get together, that's sin. Two women, when they get together, that's sin. A man that's not married to a woman, when they get together sexually, that is sin. All contrary to the will of Almighty God. But you ask me as I close tonight, you said, Brother Johnson, do you have sympathy for these people? Yes, I do. I have sympathy. I, I love all people. And so I love gay people and homosexuals. But that doesn't mean that I have to accept their sin any more than they have to accept mine. May God bless us and help us as we continue to search the Bible for his divine word. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. All right, Stevie. All right. Thank you for that response, Robert. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Because after we come back from the break, we'll have a lesson from my co-host, Tim Bench, from the state of Texas. Anybody out there? Haven't tried and tribulation. I just want to encourage you. Keep moving on. I need somebody who's been through something. Help me not. I've had some ups and downs, hard times in my life. 
welcome all of our listeners across the globe. We are certainly thankful for each and every one of those uh, who choose to participate and listen in on our show, wherever you may be located. We're thankful for each and every one of you. If you have your Bibles uh, handy this evening, we're going to be reading briefly from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And for those of you who may not have access to a Bible tonight, we're going to read these verses together. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. It was about the space of three hours later when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much? And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church. This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and the relevance of this story and its mammoth importance to the early church cannot be overstated. This is a quote from Don DeWalt from Acts Made Actual, page 73, quote, We have witnessed in the past record the evil forces from without, but this chapter opens with the account of the first marks of the evil one within the fold, end quote. The saga of Ananias and Sapphira from Acts chapter 5 has become for many people one of the more dissected stories of the entire New Testament. For obvious reasons, opponents of the Bible will cite the story of this husband and wife duo and their demise as proof of God's wrath and anger and fury and temper. Those calling themselves Christians will often ignore the story altogether. God striking down people for disobedience, obviously, is not a fitting topic for many sermons, debates, classes, uh, etc. in today's tolerant, my God is a loving God type of world and type of church. And there are Christians and even preachers today who do broach this subject, but yet they will often refer to this story as disturbing or difficult. There was a speaker at a Church of Christ in Abilene several years ago that I knew, who said that this story made him feel, quote, uncomfortable, and he was therefore not going to touch it. No part of the Bible should be ignored, difficult or not. Ananias and Sapphira and their fate was ordained by God, it was executed by God, and therefore it is just, and it is expedient, and it is right. So tonight, we're going to take a quick look at this story, again, which many people 
may choose to avoid completely. And we can learn much from this story, which we can absolutely apply to our lives today as we are going to see. Let's start with the names. What does Ananias mean? What does Sapphira mean? Ananias in Hebrew means simply the Lord is gracious or Jehovah hath been gracious. And Sapphira in Aramaic means beautiful. And if in Greek, it means the word sapphire. In the previous chapter, Acts chapter 4, we are given a detailed account of the eminent liberality and sincerity of the mass of early Christians. These Christians were willing to give up their own property to provide for the poor. And we had mentioned the case of Barnabas uh, several weeks ago as worthy of special attention. Chapter 5, we proceed to a case uh, quite as striking, uh, but of opposite motivations and of opposite insincerity instead of, instead of sincerity and rancid hypocrisy. And we're also going to see the just judgment and wrath of God on those who were guilty of it. From Albert Barnes, Barnes' note on the Bible, quote, The case is a remarkable instance of the nature of hypocrisy and goes to illustrate the art and cunning of the enemy of souls in attempting to corrupt the church and to pervert the religion of the gospel. Hypocrisy consists in an attempt to imitate the people of God or to assume the appearance of religion in whatever form it may be manifested. In this case, religion had been manifested by great self-denial and benevolence. The hypocrisy of Ananias consisted in attempting to imitate this in appearance and to impose in this way on the early Christians and on God, end quote. From BibleGateway.com, quote, Sin blinds us so that we choose short-term gains in this life, heedless of the long-term loss in the next, Luke 9, 24 and 25. For Ananias, it was the possibility of being praised for his generosity while keeping a secure nest egg for his wife, end quote. The first century church was very different than the church now. Again, early believers shared all of their material wealth. They shared all of their possessions, having all things common. We see that in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and Acts chapter 2, verses 43 and 45. This was done to ensure the very survival of this fledgling faith. Again, Christianity was brand new, and it was struggling, and it was under threat from multiple sides and multiple enemies, and there was no certainty at that point that Christianity would survive. Therefore, both the wealthy and the poor gave of their means, and as a result, no one in the community lacked anything. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Everything was shared. Nothing was considered the property of a specific individual, and whatever need might arise could be effectively dealt with, and common human failings such as envy, strife, jealousy, uh, all these things, greed that we've all seen uh, before, could ideally be alleviated. So let's go to Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira sold a possession according to verse 1. Ananias brings the proceeds from this sale, most likely land that the couple had owned, and he lays it at the feet of Peter with the obvious insinuation that this money was all that he had received for his sale, and therefore he was giving the money in its entirety for dispersion amongst the faithful. 
Peter's response here is scathing in verses 3 and 4. Ananias had lied to the Holy Ghost, his heart filled with malice and greed by Satan. And note here that Peter very clearly contrasted Ananias' deeds with the deeds of all the other believers, none of whom would dare make the claim that their possessions were their own. All of them, all of the others, would and did go sell goods, and they laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet. But verse 4 is especially notable. It was not a sin for the pair to keep back part of the proceeds. Peter states here very clearly that while their property, they could certainly give whatever portion they might deem appropriate. They could give 100%, they could give 75%, 50%, whatever they saw fit. But the bottom line is, this pair, this husband and wife, had the gall and the unmitigated nerve and the audacity to actually attempt to lie to Peter and to lie to the other early Christians, and most stunning of all, to lie to God himself. This is from Robert Parrish in the Gospel Guardian from the Sin of Lying back in 1960, quote, The first sin recorded against a member of the Church of our Lord was the sin of lying. Ananias and Sapphira lied of all things about their contribution. How many church members now living would be living if God killed with the same dispatch those who lie about their giving today? Lying about our giving is not lying to man, but to God. Did any claim income tax deduction for giving which you did not give? Have you left the impression with your brethren that you were giving more than you actually gave? That is what Ananias and Sapphira did. The account of their sin can be studied with profit, end quote. As we know from our reading in verse 5, Ananias falls and he dies on the spot. Later, Sapphira, the wife, apparently unaware of the fate of her husband, but she was fully complicit and aware of his nefarious plot, approaches Peter. And Peter, interestingly, in verse 8, asks the woman, he said, you know, ask her whether you sold the land for so much, or in modern terms, is this the full amount that you received for your sale? Peter here is providing her every opportunity to come clean and to be honest, but Like her forked-tongued husband, Sapphira also lies. And again, like her husband, she dies on the spot, and she is carried away, and she is buried by her husband, verse 10. This pair, again, had believed that they could deceive Almighty God, an utter falsehood presented as truth, and it cost them their physical lives. This is from Mike King with the Lakeside Church of Christ in Orange Park, Florida. Quote, the infant church had been unmarred until the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. Luke had just discussed liberality and honesty prior to this, but these two young Christians present a contrast. Their problem was not selling the land or even keeping a part for private use, but giving a part under pretense of giving the whole. Their sin was one of falsehood. Their sin was premeditated and willful in that they had planned long before the actual commitment of it. Their sin was also secret because they had agreed together and tempted the Spirit, trying to escape his notice. Their sin, as all sin, had its origination with Satan. He had filled their hearts with the seed of lies because of his being a liar and the father of it, 
John chapter 8, verses 44 through 46. Satan made his way into the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira, just as he did to Judas, with similar end results. Satan was the origin of their sin, but their own hearts also worked in accord with Satan for their own destruction. The devil's wares include pride, causing them to want to be known as liberal givers, 1 John 2.16, and greed, for they simply wanted the money. They had not considered God's divine detection system. The detection was instantaneous, requiring no trial, previous suspicion, or testimony of human witnesses. The detection was complete, uncovering everything, revealing the origin and nature of the sin in those who are to be implicated. Though their sin was planned in secret, it was exposed in public, as was Achan's sin of Joshua, the seventh chapter. Their punishment was sudden and severe, showing God's hatred for sin. The punishment was supernatural, with Peter only the spokesman for the Spirit and not the pronouncer of the death penalty. The punishment was justified due to the infancy of the church and its need for having abhorrence for sin. Be sure your sins will find you out. Numbers 32, verse 23, end quote. From the Sin of Hypocrisy by Earl Kimbrough. This is from the April 23, 1964 Gospel Guardian, quote, Hypocrisy is a form of lying. It is lying by pretense. When Ananias and Sapphira pretended to give all, but actually held back a part of what they obtained from selling a possession, Peter said they lied to God. Hypocrisy is not to be tolerated in the church. The removal of Ananias and Sapphira by death shows God's displeasure with hypocrisy. Those who will not conform to the standard of conduct laid down by the Lord in the New Testament should not be in fellowship with the church. 2 Thessalonians 3.6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. No sin is more clearly in violation of the apostles' doctrine than hypocrisy. Therefore, the hypocrite that will not turn from his hypocrisy must be withdrawn from by the Lord's people. The hypocrite cannot have fellowship with those who walk in the light, end quote. And finally, from Thomas Scott, from the Henry Scott Commentary, quote, the event about to be related was a dramatic change from the wonderful miracles of mercy and healing, which until then had marked the deeds of the apostles. But... It was necessary that the severity of God, as well as his mercy, should be stressed. And, just as Jesus had withered the fig tree, there appeared here an instance of severity following the instances of goodness. God is to be both loved and feared, end quote. Again, the modern-day tolerant among us will and do argue that this was wrathful on God's, on God's part, or it was harsh on God's part, certainly not very loving. That was the exact wording I heard here in Abilene several years ago. And so this story becomes, as we have mentioned, uncomfortable for many people. But let us keep in mind again that every member of the early church was giving of their means, which very often was extremely limited to ensure that the church would even survive. And again, its survival was in doubt at that point. 
Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, reminds us of the poor widow who provided the two mites. This was a very small amount of money, but it was all that she had. She did not give out of, out of her excess. She didn't just give a few dollars. She literally gave everything that she had out of duty and sheer faith in Jesus Christ, and again, not from abundance. So when we look at the example of the two mites, how dare this husband and wife scheme together to sell a belonging and then to turn around and lie about it in order to make themselves appear more diligent or more dedicated, when in reality their hearts were filled with nothing but greed and hypocrisy. And there's no other term but hypocrite for a person who wants himself or herself portrayed to the world as concerned about supporting the winning of souls for Christ, when in reality their only concern is actually fulfillment of their own desires and wants. It's stunning that a person would knowingly and willingly lie to God when it was God in the first place who provided that person with every physical or material blessing that they have, that they have or that they ever will have in their entire life. But again, this is the crime of Ananias and Sapphira, amazingly thinking that they could lie to an all-knowing, uh, omnipresent, omniscient God and think that they could get away with it. From BibleGateway.com, quote, Such a punishment, death at the hands of heaven, was a recognized penalty in Old Testament and Jewish law. The punishments for partaking of the priestly tithe while ritually unclean and the strange fire of Nadab and Abihu are the closest parallels. Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 through 7 and chapter 22 verse 9. No wonder great fear came upon the Jewish Christian bystanders, end quote. The lessons which we can draw from this story are every bit as applicable today as they were in the first century. Most all of us, if not all of us, have seen the poorest in monetary terms among us at church or that we work with or that we know. Oftentimes those people are the most generous with what wealth they have. They may provide money or food or whatever else might be needed for their local congregation, even to the extent that they themselves are forced to suffer or do without. We all know of people on a fixed income or even no income who delved into their limited bank accounts to help fund missionary or evangelical efforts in which the church is involved with no fanfare and with no applause. Again, those with the very least are often the most generous and often the most humble. Meanwhile, others who are more affluent and wealthy often are the most stingy and hoarding with their monies. You might hear uh, wording from them, well, I might be able to help out with some donations later next year, depending on how some of my investments pan out, and, and similar type sentiment. Again, in other words, giving out of their abundance, giving out of what is left over versus uh, truly caring about the success or failure of the church. What does the New Testament specifically tell us about money and the love of money? It's very simple. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. 
which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Do you think that the widow woman who gave the two mites was worried about how her investment portfolio might turn out? Or were she and the other first century Christians who were living a communal lifestyle with no thought of their own belongings and no thought of their own comfort, were they more concerned with spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? It seems that the answer there is obvious. Is this modern, narcissistic, self-centered, flash-over-substance obsession with portraying self as positively as possible applicable to our churches today and not just to individuals? The answer is, tragically, it very often is. Do we sometimes worry about the mere form of godliness? 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, trying to impress others with vanity and lies and deceit. And again, that is tragically common. How about a congregation that focuses its evangelism on flashy, showy attributes such as fancy buildings and expansions, gymnasiums, entertainment facilities, and so on, instead of their biblically decreed true mission of glorifying God and winning souls to Jesus Christ? There are other examples from the Bible of consequences inflicted upon those who would openly and defiantly attempt to deceive and lie to an all-knowing, all-seeing God. For example, you've got Gehazi, servant of the prophet Elijah, who practiced deception. He lied to Elijah. He was stricken with leprosy back in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Rather than get leprosy or an illness, however, Ananias and Sapphira were summarily struck dead. And again, while some might consider their deaths as overly severe, let's keep one thing in mind as we conclude this lesson. It was God's decision, and God, without exception, does what is right. Questioning the morality, or lack thereof, of the deaths in this story is tantamount to questioning God himself, which is a slippery slope that none of us want to go down. All of us would be well served today to remember that God knows our hearts, God knows our minds, God knows our souls, down to the most minute detail and thought. And there can be nothing more absurd than to consider and believe that somehow a repellent and self-serving and greedy heart can somehow be hidden from an omnipotent God. We cannot hide our hearts from God. We cannot hide our thoughts from God. We cannot hide our wants and our longings or our darkest secrets, secrets that no one else in this world may know of from God. You might be able to lie to your wife. You might be able to lie or hide something from your mother or your best friend or whoever it may be, and you may do that very effectively for years or even decades or a lifetime. You will not be successful in that attempt in trying to hide a thing, anything, from God. No matter what our sin might be, no matter how well we may think we have concealed our misdeeds, God knows. God knows every hair on our heads. Luke chapter 12, verse 7, and Matthew chapter 10, verse 30. In fact, a bird does not tumble to the ground anywhere on earth without God's knowledge and awareness of it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. 
If God knows his own creation in such amazing, astounding, incomprehensible detail, how could we possibly think that God is not aware of our lies and our deceit and the treachery within our own hearts? We are foolish, astonishingly foolish, actually, if we operate under the illusion, as did Ananias and Sapphira, that we can lie or that we can deceive or cheat or steal or portray ourselves falsely, and God will somehow not be aware of what we are doing. You have an audience, ladies and gentlemen, every moment of every day of every year of your life. Nothing you do is private. Nothing you have ever done is private. Nothing that you have ever done has been hidden from heaven. Nothing you have ever said is hidden from God. Every thought, every word you have ever spoken, God sees it all. Job chapter 31 verse 4, he sees everything that I do and every step I take. God knows every detail of your life. He watches every breath you take, and there are no secrets in your life. So again, attempting to lie to God is not only nonsensical, but it imperils your very soul. Our lies, if not repented of, will cost us far more than our physical bodies. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. And again, this should be what the story of Ananias and Sapphira serves to remind us of constantly. From Matthew Henry in his concise commentary, quote, If we think to put a cheat upon God, we shall put a fatal cheat upon our own souls, end quote. We cannot serve both God and mammon, Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 and 25, mammon being money. The heart of this husband and wife duo learned this lesson too late. Again, let this not be the case for us and let each of us have an appropriate appreciation and value for our possessions, the proper sense of priorities, specifically in supporting church efforts. And most of all, let us each never be foolish enough to think that for a moment our lies or our deceit or our trickery will go unseen by an almighty God. Again, from Matthew Henry, quote, The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was that they were ambitious of being thought eminent disciples when they were not true disciples. Hypocrites may deny themselves, may forego their worldly advantage in one instance with the prospect of finding their account in something else. They were covetous of the wealth of the world and distrustful of God and his providence. They thought they might serve both God and mammon. They thought to deceive the apostles. The crime of Ananias was not his retaining part of the price of the land. He might have kept it all, had he pleased, but his endeavoring to oppose upon the apostles with an awful lie from a desire to make a vain show, joined with covetousness, and this punishment was in reality mercy to vast numbers. It would cause strict self-examination, prayer, and dread of hypocrisy, covetousness, and vainglory, and it should still do so, end quote. Tonight, do the sins of Ananias and Sapphira seem monumental in your mind? This couple was certainly not heathens or unbelievers. Again, we know that they were active participants in the early church. Ananias and Sapphira were, in fact, baptized Christians. And yet, for some 
what some people would deem a small sin, meaning wanting unwarranted recognition from others or greed or lying, there is no small sin. God, in his wrath, struck them down on the spot dead. We don't know their eternal destinations. We don't know if they're in heaven or in hell, but their earthly fate certainly seems to clearly indicate, at the very least, God's displeasure over their hypocrisy and their tainted hearts. Again, in conclusion tonight, there is no violation of God's demands and no departure from the word of God and no sin that we can refer to as trivial in the eyes of God. Mankind, unlike God, views sin as level. Some are only sort of bad. Well, I only told a little white lie. It wasn't that bad. Some are not really bad at all. That is not found in the Word of God. That is not found in the Bible. There is no command that we can come across in the Scriptures and suggest that sin is not a big deal to God, or it's optional, or it's up to us to decide if and how we choose to follow it or repent of it. If instantaneous death was to befall this couple for their minor sins, as some have described them, again, we would be foolish to trivialize any of God's words or any of God's demands or any of God's expectations. When God says something, he means it, period. We do not have the right to second-guess how important it is to God. And each and every one of us, this is the closing point, do not imperil your soul and your eternity by thinking otherwise. Some questions that each and every one of us might want to think about as we close tonight. And these are questions that you and only you can answer and you and only you can know. Are you in actuality a hypocrite? What is there that lurks which you attempt to hide from other people and that you attempt to hide from God? What hidden thoughts and hidden sins do you keep only to yourself? You may be certain that no one else knows, and that may be true, but God knows. What selfish desires remain locked up inside you? What sins remain in the shadows of your own soul? And again, do not operate under the illusion that you can hide anything from your Creator, as did Ananias and Sapphira. Nothing can be hidden from God. That concludes our lesson for tonight, and as always, we want to extend the invitation to any of our listeners, wherever you may be located, if you ever have any questions or comments, uh, each of us here would be more than happy to try to study with any of our listeners, wherever you may be. You can submit any questions or comments you have through email or through Facebook or by contacting Stevie Butler. Uh, We stand prepared at all times to try to help in any possible way that we can, even if it's just uh, praying with someone. Whatever we can do to support and to help anyone, uh, we hope to be able to do. Let's end tonight's lesson with a prayer together, wherever you may be located. Dear Heavenly Father, we come unto you tonight, Father, to thank you for this opportunity that we have and this technology that we now have, that wherever we may be located across the globe, we can come together Uh, this time each week to study from your word, to analyze your word and its application for us today. We're so thankful, Father, for our audience, and we always hope that these presentations are educational and beneficial to each and every one of us, wherever we may be located. We pray, Father, that you will judge us with mercy and with forgiveness and, and forgive us of our sins that we know that we constantly commit 
We often stumble and, and fall, Father. We ask that you would help us to get up, dust ourselves off, and always be a beacon for you throughout this world. Please be with us the rest of this week. Uh, forgive us of our many sins. It is in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. Way to go, way to go. I don't know, I don't know. Way to go, way to go. I don't know, I don't know. I don't know which way to go, way to go. I don't know. I have lost my way. The way to sing that right And the man when he's in the need to be dead A sinful man used to stop to his ways But a wise man used to stop to his death I'm like a blind man, Lord, I cannot see You are the light that leads us I trust in you, you are the way It's what I believe to a friend I'm dead
listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show, episode 144. Uh-huh. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.